Would you feed a dying child? So you're walking with a sandwich and there is a dying child on the streets of Calgary, on a public sidewalk or in a public park. Would you feed that child? I mean, serious question, would you? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, you would, you would be breaking the law. Because the law in the city of Calgary states you're not allowed to give free goods and services without the permit. Well, you don't have a chance to get the permit because if you because do the that, just showed up. the kid will die. Oh. You're walking on the streets. There is a law in the books. You're not allowed to do it. What would you do? Would you feed that kid or would you say, I cannot do it because I will be breaking a city ordinances or bylaws? Hello and welcome to Freedom Feature. I'm your host, Barry Bussey. With me today, I have a very special guest, Pastor Arthur Pulowski. And those of you who have been following anything in the last number of years here in Canada, you will know that name. Pastor, it's a great privilege to have you with us. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for um, having me on your show. Thank you. Yeah, you know, um, there's just so much to talk about, and we've already been talking before the the cameras are live, but but it just strikes me that many people don't know who you are. I mean, we hear all of the stories in mainstream media, you know, we see the pictures of you being arrested on the highway, we, we see you, um, uh, just recently the uh, Court of Appeal made a decision that, uh, uh, you know, is a tremendous little victory here. I mean, it's a big victory in one sense, but nevertheless, it's part of a process that's yeah. ongoing. And I'm just wondering, you know, who's Pastor Pulowski? Where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I look uh, at my story from a little bit outside, tell you the truth, it fascinates me as well because it has so many angles, so mm. many ways to look at it. And for sure, it's not boring. <laughs> As you can tell very quickly, I am a Polish emigrant. I grew up behind the Iron Curtain under the boots of the Soviets. I'm a Polish emigrant, and if you know anything about Polish people, we are as crazy as <laughs> the Irish and Scot Scottish people. Okay. We love our freedom. Yeah. Our country has been attacked through centuries mm. by all kinds of nations, all kinds of empires, Ottoman Empire, Sobieski, the king that stopped the Ottoman Empire at Vienna. We stopped Genghis Khan. We stopped the invasion of the Vikings. Uh, we are very peculiar people if it comes to freedom. Right. We will not look for trouble. We are very peaceful nation, but mm. if you will come, and attack us, it's like poking at the bear. Mm. So, who is Arthur Pulowski? I, uh, I, I'm just a father, I'm a husband. I am very grateful, man, that God saved me and loves me and I just wanna live my life in peace. Mm. And if I can summarize who is Arthur Pulowski, is a man of peace and love. I just wanna be left alone, yeah. that's it. And I've said that so many times to so many people, government officials, judges, crown prosecutors, and the media, just please leave me alone. Mm. Why can't you just leave me alone? 
I'm good at what I'm doing. And what I'm doing is saving lives. I feed thousands of people. I started over 40 organizations that effectively feed millions of people right now, every month, all across this globe. I wow. take care of the orphans and the widows. I take people off the streets. So we have orphanages. We have medical clinics in Africa. We we just love to save lives. We love mm -hmm. to do what Jesus was doing on a smaller scale, right? You know, and I want to, I want to continue doing that, and I want to continue to do that without the interference of government. Right. Government should stay away from the church's business. Mm -hmm. We are called by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to save lives, mm -hmm. to give people hope, especially now, especially now when economy is collapsing, when people are losing jobs, when they're suicidal, turning into drugs, fentanyl overdose. Uh, it's just we are in a deep, deep, big troubles all around the world, especially now the message of the gospel mm. is important. However, the government of today, they have a different view of mm. what church should be doing mm. and they're interfering with our way of preaching they're interfering with what we can and cannot believe in they're telling us when we can be open when we have to shut down our our doors and historically speaking and that's what i love i absolutely absolutely love history mm. i am a history student and i mm. teach history mm. because history is teaching us not what to do, um, what, it's, it's, it's teaching us what kind of mistakes we should, we should not be making again. When you do not know where you're coming from, you don't know where you're heading. Mm -hmm. History is very important and that's why I believe that God has given us such a huge portion of the Bible, His Word, in a historical manner. Mm -hmm. So I teach history as well and of course I teach theology. I teach the gospel, I give people hope, and I just want to do that. Mm. I love to do my job, which is not really a job, it's a passion, it's a lifestyle, it's mm. everything. Being a pastor is not a job. Being a pastor is a calling. Mm. I have been called, I was not looking to be a pastor. I was very happy to remain a businessman. I was very content in what I was doing. I was very good at what I was doing as a businessman and God called me to be a pastor. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How is it you went from being a businessman and what kind of business were you involved with? Well, I started my business when, um, when we were still in Poland. Um, at that time, and I know this will sound terrible for some years, um, but at that time, growing up behind the Iron Curtain, the government, the communist government, would outlaw certain things. Mm. For example, you were not allowed to buy this product or that product that would come from behind the Iron Curtain. Mm. And because they did that approach, uh, there was nothing in the stores. So now imagine, I know this will be almost impossible for the people to, to understand what I'm saying. Imagine going to Safeway, yeah. Costco, Walmart, and seeing those huge places with empty shelves, right. only vinegar on it. That's it, nothing else, just vinegar. You could buy tens of thousands of bottles of vinegar because the Russians didn't care about vinegar, so they were not stealing that from the Polish people. Everything else was stolen by the Russians. Communism and socialism is hell on earth. If, if you would ask me a question, 
how was your childhood when you were growing up? It comes to that aspect mm -hmm. because I had loving parents. My parents did their best. They were awesome. They were amazing, providing for us, trying their best to give us the necessities of life and 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 some extra. Uh, but growing up under communism was hell on earth. Mm. It was it was abuse of power. It was torturing people, arresting people, imprisoning people for nothing, uh, just because you dared to buy something that was not approved by the Communist Party. So what I decided to do is, we couldn't go and buy chocolates. Growing up, I had chocolate once a year wow. during Christmas. Christmas. And if my mom was extremely successful in bribing someone, I would have a chocolate for my birthday. And if it happened, if a miracle happened, that that chocolate had peanuts in it, you know what I would do? Mm. I would break those little bars and I would take just one little bar, I would lick the peanut around, just I would lick the chocolate and leave the peanut for the next day because you couldn't just go and buy it. Mm. So what I decided to do, I decided to smuggle chocolates for other children. I decided to bring TVs and electronics and gold and, and anything else that I could get my hands on from behind the Iron Curtain back to Poland. So I became a smuggler. But <laughs> this sounds kind of like a lawbreaker. I just, I was a good businessman. I just provided what people needed and the communist government would prohibit. Right. So that's Poland. Then we decided to uh, emigrate to Greece. And in Greece, we, with my father, we became builders. We started to build houses for the rich Athenians, for the politicians. So I built houses for the ministers. I built houses for the chief of police. I built uh, houses for the famous people from the front pages um, of newspapers, singers and actors. So I did that for a number of years. We were very successful. However, everything we were doing in Poland was by bribery, was under the table. Everything we were doing in Greece was by bribery under the table. And you know, we were sick and tired. We just wanted to live our lives normally. Mm. You, 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 I don't know if you understand. We just wanted to work hard, yep. use the brain that God has given us, the talents that we had with my father, be business people and make money in an honest way without the police coming to take an envelope filled with cash or bribing the politicians to be able to do what we were doing, which is building houses. Mm. So I remember this meeting in a Canadian embassy and we all were asked to come there and Canadian government offered us to emigrate to Canada. And here is what they said, and I found this ironic today. The officer in the embassy in Athens said to us, sell your business because we had cars we had you know businesses and we were we had equipment and other things sell everything you have mm. and bring your money to Canada Canada is the freest country on earth on earth and in Canada no one will ever persecute you for your fate mm. and now for my fate I have been arrested 16 times over 100 court cases and over 340 citations everything related to me being a pastor feeding the poor, preaching the gospel, reading the Bible in public, which I don't know if you remember, I was the first Canadian ever to be arrested for publicly reading Bible in a public park, charged criminally for that offense. And thank God there was a normal judge that set me free. So 
that's how we came to Calgary. Mm. We came to Canada to to start all over again and to do that in an honest way, mm -hmm. working hard, starting a business, paying taxes, just no more, no more bribery, no more so was this, corruption. So was this your dad and you, or your dad and wife? Or no, we, first my father escaped. Okay. Then um, we joined him with my, 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 my mom and my younger brother, David the one that was arrested on the highway with me. Right. Actually, he was uh, arrested with me about a dozen times. Yeah. He's always uh, so. So you're me. kind of a hard brother to hang around with, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always joke around that uh, since my mom brought him home, he's following me wherever I go. <laughs> you know, like I emigrated, escaped communism to Poland, he followed. Then we escaped to Canada, he followed. And <laughs> now he lives next door. He's awesome. He's the, the best brother you can possibly even imagine to have right. brave courageous straightforward you know lover of jesus lover mm. of christ lover of righteousness and it's awesome to have him around and his wife of course so we escaped um, mm. craziness we end up here and we're very we have always been very hardworking people so we started a business again mm. in uh, in Calgary and again God blessed us with a great success mm. I started to buy houses property golfing all the time eating in the best restaurants life was good I was making lots of money and that was just the beginning mm. but you know God um, God is a very interesting person because he has an idea for your life mm. you have your own idea mm. for your life right. but he has his own idea and he mm. wanted me to be able, I guess, if you will, to use my skills of organizing stuff, putting things together from nothing. An amazing thing that I learned in a business that I was able to create something from nothing. Mm. You walked into a room and there was nothing there, but God gave me the talent that I could always see something right. that can happen without mm seeing it first. Uh, building houses is, is the same thing. I used to own uh, all, all kinds of corporations and I used to own a magazine, believe it or not. I, I've done a lot of things in the business, land development and building houses, renovation, all kinds of different things. And I think that God wanted to use the gift that he has given to me, but not just for me, but for others. Mm -hmm. And I started to work after the healing of my son. And if people are interested, what really triggered me to become a pastor was the healing of my son, Nathaniel, which actually means in Hebrew, in Hebrew, gift from God. Mm. And he was born the same day I was born. So he was truly a gift from God, but he was born dead with smashed lungs, heart on the opposite side. That brought me to my knees. I made peace with God and then I gave him my word. And if you knew anything about me, this, this was a deal. This we didn't deal. need the lawyers, Your, your word is good as your bond. My, my word was always more expensive than gold and silver. Right. That's how I was, I was growing up. Mm. When you say that you're going to do something, do it. Or right. don't say a thing. Right. Don't say a thing. But if you decided to do it, even if it costs you, go and do it 
So when my son was uh, dying in Calgary in Children's Hospital, when the doctors said that we need to unplug him because he will be vegetable for the rest of his life, uh, that there's medically speaking no hope whatsoever to fixing him, I gave a word to God. And this is what I said to him. I said, God, <clears throat> I get it. I understand that there are things that are more important than money. There are things that are more important than business deals and clients and, and all this lifestyle, you know, swimming pool parties and, and alcohol being poured, the best restaurants and eating, you know, like this Hollywood style right. splendor. Right. There are things that are actually important and this is not important at all. Mm. When you're facing death, when you're facing sickness, when you're facing tragedy, all the money, all the silver and all the gold, it means absolutely nothing. Mm nothing if i could i would fix my son my son myself mm. if i was a surgeon i would operate on him right but there was nothing i could do so the only thing i did i went to my knees and i said god i lived my life selfishly i was not a bad man but i was not a good man either mm. i was a selfish person from now on i'm giving you my word that either you heal my son or you take him home I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. I'm going to leave everything behind. I'll start fresh with you. Mm. And he honored that because the next day after my prayer, I went to the children's hospital. And as I was walking on a hallway, people started to point a finger at me like, that's the father, that's the father, that's the father. Can you see that's the father of that star baby? Had no idea what they're talking about. Right. No one called me, no one told me anything. I made peace with God to a point that I was okay, was okay with my soul that I might not see him in that little room in the intensive care. Right. Because I said to him, either you heal him or you take him. I'll serve you for the rest of my life. In other words, I give up, I surrender, you know, total surrender. Right. I was a Christian before, in quote, yes. but I was like a duck. I called that Christianity a duck walk. A little bit here, a little bit with the devil, a little bit with God. God bless my business, but I prefer the fun of yeah. drinking and partying and all that lifestyle. Right. It doesn't work that way. Right. With God, you got to choose either life or death, light or darkness, mm. holiness or sin. Mm. There is no sitting on the fence. So when I jumped from my fence and I said yes to him, he did what I was not even expecting him to do. As I walked to the intensive care, I was thinking I'm not going to see my son again alive. Machinery was working for him. He had a pipe in his, uh, in his throat uh, pumping air. He did not, my son did not even have one vein that they could put a needle in. All the veins were taken. Little tiny, just born baby, completely messed up with bowels in the upper chest and the, the heart on the opposite, opposite side. So when I walked, I was shocked because he did not have the equipment in his mouth. And I, of course, didn't know what happened. And three doctors, the same three doctors that came to me and said, you should consider unplugging him because there is nothing we can do. He's going to be vegetable for the rest of his life. The same three doctors came to me and says, Mr. Pulaski, you got to come with us. Hmm. You got to come. Something happened. You got to come with us. And they took me to this room at that time. You know, that reminds me how old I am. <laughs> there was an x-ray room. Now they have everything on computers, but that was actual x-ray room. And there was about eight different pictures. And they said, look at the first one. 
So I did, and they explained it to me. You see the bowels, and you can actually see the bowels. If you're interested in a case, they did a documentary on that healing okay. because it was a miracle called Street Advocate, the okay. movie. Okay. Street Advocate, uh, the, you can see the x-ray pictures. You can see my, my baby boy right there in yeah. the intensive care. Uh, there is a video of that. So anyway, they, see, uh, they, they said to me, do you see that heart on opposite side and the, and the bowels? Yeah, but look at the next one. This morning, your son started to fight with the machinery. And we thought that the, that the equipment mal malfunctioned. So we took that pipe just for a brief second. And we can't believe it, what happened. Your son is breathing. And I'm thinking, okay. And the three doctors, the experts, look at me and said, you don't understand what we're saying. I said, no, sorry, I don't. Hmm. Your son is breathing. Wow. I said, okay. No, you don't get it. You don't understand. Your son doesn't have a lung. He cannot breathe. Really? It's a medical impossibility. Your son cannot breathe, but he's breathing on his own. So we started to take pictures every hour. Do you see this little thing? I said, yeah. Well, that's a lung that was not there. And look at the next one. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You see that like it was a seventh picture. It was like a big lung over mm -hmm. there. Within a few hours, your son grew a lung that was not there. Wow. We cannot explain. So we call a symposium of doctors and we called your son a star baby. That's why people, hospital, nurses, everyone that was there was pointing a finger at me saying, that's the father of the star baby. Right. They called our son star baby because the expert said, it's like a kid that came from the stars, right. should not be alive, but is living, should not be breathing, but is breathing. And I think that was the first time that I encountered a living God. Mm. You see, I've heard about God when I was growing up in a Catholicism, I've heard when my wife was taking me to the Protestant church. So I tasted both words, but I've never really encountered him. Right. I've never really seen the power that when he does something, he's, uh, his life itself. And if he says, you live, you live. Yeah. If he says, I don't care if there was nothing there, now there is, because I say so. Right. So I gave him my word and to the best of my ability, I stuck with what I said. And that's why people look at me and say, why are you so stubborn? No, I'm just a good businessman. I gave a word to the king. I said, I'll serve him for the rest of my life, no matter what. No matter what is going to happen, I gave my word to him that now my life belongs to him and I will do what he tells me to do. So of course, being a stubborn donkey it took me a while to walk away from business, actually five years. I used to have an office in Bankers Hall, the most prestigious place in the city of Calgary. And um, I used to own a magazine and all kinds of corporations and businesses. Life was good. I was making lots of money, buying properties, houses, building houses, and, and uh, we had big dreams. And then one day in my office, he speaks to me. And again, being a rational businessman, I never believed in hearing God right. until my son was dying and I actually heard him. And when was that? When was your son? That 2000, 2000, my son was dying. He's 22 years old right now. Mm -hmm. I just finished Montreal University uh, criminology or criminal justice, I think it's called here. Mm. And um, 2005, I hear this voice like I hear you clearly. Mm. He says, pack your stuff from your office. 
and go out in your underwear, he said, and do not look back at Egypt. When you say go in your underwear to a Polish man, here is what he is in, in effect saying, leave everything behind. Okay. Leave the business, the money, the houses, the properties, the, co the joint ventures, you know, all the partners and all of that stuff that I had. Just leave that behind and don't look back at Egypt. That was 2005. I was already working with the homeless people since 99. So I was part-time. I was a full-time businessman, part-time charity worker, right. you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, part-time pastor. Uh, I used to run a Polish church and I was a chaplain in Salvation Army. I was uh, ministering in uh, Drumheller uh, Penitentiary, you know, mm. <laughs> it's like I find that ironic now because I have become a prisoner myself. Right. Um, so that's what I was doing until 2005. 2005, I walked away from business, never to go back to my own office. I lost millions of dollars, lost my houses, lost my properties. And I full-time started an organization that now is known as Street Church Ministries. Mm. Street Church Ministry is a church for the poor, for the poorest of the poor, for people that no one wants to spit at, mm. that no one wants to touch, those that are lower than the poor, drug addicts, prostitutes, drug dealers, alcoholics, violent people. Um, when you see eight most wanted, half of them are at street church because they cannot go to a normal uh, shelter. There is a uh, face recognition. Mm -hmm. There's ID required. So they come to me. They come for food. And I've decided early on not to judge what they have been doing, but to serve them. Yes, preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. Tell them the truth that without Jesus, you're going to hell. Mm -hmm. If you're a homosexual, you got to turn away from the lifestyle. If you're a murderer, you got to stop murdering. If you're a thief, stop stealing. If you're an adulterer, stop sleeping around the truth has to be spoken however they're all welcome to come no matter what and i will feed every single person i don't care what your sexual preference is i don't care if you're muslim or sikh or christian i don't care if you're rich or poor white or black or yellow or green if the merchants would decide to come i'll still feed them you stand in a lineup that means you're hungry that means you need this for whatever reason I'll tell you the truth, that there's only one way to Jesus, not 10,000 roads that lead to Rome. One way, His way. Jesus is life, the truth. He is the way. He is the beginning and the end. He is everything. Without Jesus, there is no life. And you will hear that at our services, but you're welcome to come. I'll feed you, even if you don't believe me. I'll feed you, even if you don't like me. And the government didn't like that. Within the first few months, I took 600 people off the streets. 600 within three months. And where did, where did they go when you say you got So we them? had a halfway housing. We uh, looked for jobs. We put them in, a, in a, um, apartments. So was this coming out of your own finances? My own finances first. We did um, try to raise the money. But you know, I was so good at making money. I didn't care. I was just like, whatever, God can give me millions more if he chooses so well. He didn't. <laughs> so I end, up, um, I end up in a big trouble. Uh, seven times I had to remortgage my house to fight the hyenas when they decided to hammer us without mercy. 
So 2005. Okay, wait, wait, no, just unpack the, the hyenas. Are you talking about the uh, politicians and the media? Okay. Yeah, I call them hyenas um, because they always hunt in packs and they always settle for the leftovers. They're like, they remind politicians and the mainstream media right now, they remind me of those vicious packs of wolves, coyotes or hyenas. And because I work in Africa, I have been privileged to see lions hunt and I've seen hyenas and that's what I see. I, every time I look at this a corrupted system that we have right now, those politicians, they remind me of hyenas. Mm. And they're laughing, this ugly laughter eating you, you know, mm. stealing, raping, destroying what your forefathers worked so hard for. So I started to expose them. And because I used to be corrupted, man, remember? I used to bribe those people. I used to be part of the club. I knew how the system works. As a businessman, when you're dealing with those types of individuals, with the millionaires, you now, start to learn how everything works. Now, are you talking about your experience in Russia, Greece, or also in Canada? Everywhere, Canada as well. For example, I can tell you how much the mayor took for which project in bribery, because I was part of the of the establishment, if you will. I know what was going on behind the closed doors, the deals that normal people will never know. Mm. They'll never see what is going on. Uh, buying land, knowing that LRT is going to come this way and you're buying it cheap and then the price goes double. Those types of deals. Mm. And I think that's why they hate me so much because I know I know who they are. I used to be them uh, before Jesus set me free. So I tasted that in Poland, I tasted it in Greece, and of course all over Europe when I was traveling. I work in Ukraine, I smuggled stuff from there as well. And then in Canada as well, uh, Canadian corruption is a little bit different than European corruption. Here, at least not so much now, but until the COVID craziness, it was done in the white gloves. It was kind of like hidden. Not many people could see it. Now we can see it. We can see the level of corruption um, in the open. So I started to work with the homeless people. We have become very successful. And the government, be, believe it or not, instead of rewarding us for saving lives, they attacked me without mercy. And I could not first understand why this is happening. Why the politicians hate what we do. Mm. We don't charge taxpayers even a dime. We, everything we do is by volunteering. We feed multitudes. Lineups are huge. We are taking people off the streets. So saving taxpayers money. Mm. Why the government hates us so much? Why the media turned on us? First, when I started this, they called me a businessman walks away from business, a hero, um, church growing on the streets, like positive, positive, positive. And then from one day to another, I'm a villain. I'm a lawbreaker. I'm a troublemaker. Wow. What happened? We have this old Polish saying, if you don't know what the whole thing is all about, it's all about money. So I started to look at money. This doesn't make any sense. And then finally, I find out what was the whole issue all about. 
Homelessness is like cattle in a government. You know how the cattle system works? They are paying you per head. More heads, more money for the farmer. More heads, bigger the, the herd, richer you become. Homelessness in this country, the shelters, the government, um, the organizations, the charities are being paid per head. More heads on the streets. For example, if you got 1,000 people in your shelter, the government pays you 1,000 times the number that they are willing to give you for the homeless. What Arthur Polowski with the volunteers was doing? I was eliminating the heads from the herd, if you will. They started to lose money. 600 people within three months, that's a lot of money for the establishment. That's a lot of money. Do you know how much money is being designated to fight homelessness in the province of Alberta? I have no idea. $230 million a year. Rub this number, you know, in your head. $230 million every single year. And now, Pastor Arthur Polowski started to interfere with their fat big business, eliminating homelessness. <laughs> so, now, is this, um, a lot of people would say, well, Pastor, this is kind of, okay, I hear what you're saying, but do you have proof of this? I mean, people would say, or is this just speculation? This is trying to help you understand why these people are so upset with you. No, they're upset for a number of reasons. The mm. second leg of the problem was that homelessness, at least 50% of homeless people are hooked on drugs. Okay. So we're talking about hundreds of people mm -hmm. that we took within three months off the streets, they were hooked on drugs. Do you know how much a drug addict takes a day? A hundred to a thousand dollars a day, word of addiction. Please multiply this by hundreds of people. We're talking about millions of dollars. Someone was losing somewhere every single month. Mm -hmm. Millions of dollars. And that's why they hired an assassin on my life, a guy that was distributing drugs in drop-in center. The guy, drop-in center in the province of Alberta is the biggest shelter okay. in the province. Um, usually there's about a thousand, maybe more people inside the facility. And the top, top um, supervisor for the drop-in center was distributing drugs to the people inside. I started to interfere with his business, so he hired an assassin on my life. I had to hire bodyguards to watch, with, uh, to watch my back. So that was serious. How do I know all of that stuff? Because right. the police caught them. So everything can be proven. Um, uh, one guy was uh, given $5,000 to murder me. And uh, he called me actually because I helped him get off the streets. And he says, I just got a contract on you. He spent 20 years in prison, so the contract was awarded to him. And he says, but Pastor Art, I love you. You helped me when I came out of the pen. How can I murder you? I can't do that. I said, but you know, if you don't go to the police, they're going to hire somebody else. Mm. And he says, but I can't do that. I can't testify. I said, well, then you don't really love me. But he says, you don't understand there is a code. We cannot, I cannot go to the police. I said, okay, do what uh, your heart tells you to do. So he calls me back, he says, fine, I'll break my own code. I'll cooperate with the police. So he goes to the police, testifies. Five in the morning, the guy that hired him was arrested. 
by a SWAT team. So there is a, a lot of history right. since 2005 when I did this, not part-time, but full-time, and I started to be very, very effective. So 2005, the police and the bylaws showed up at our church under the bridges in a park called the Needle Park. Okay. Why the Needle Park? because there were needles everywhere and no one would dare to go to that ghetto in the city of Calgary because it was, it was hell on earth. Right. 50 drug dealers, 50 prostitutes mingling under the bridges where people were murdered and raped. The police didn't even show up over there. So we brought the church right there in the worst place in the city of Calgary. Mm -hmm. And we started to be very successful and the police showed up. And they said, you're not allowed to do this. I said, what do you mean I'm not allowed to do that? I'm feeding the poor and I'm changing this whole hell with preaching, which is legal under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It's not. The bylaw says otherwise. So the bylaw officers showed up and they said, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, we're going to ticket you and they will arrest you. And I think that's, that was the first mistake they made they blackmailed me, they threatened me, and they pushed me into a corner with no way out. And I said, fine, then I'll fight you. And it triggered a 10-year war with the city of Calgary, Attorney General, Province of Alberta, and even the federal government got involved. Um, and I started to receive tickets for giving free goods and services without the permit. Um, distribution of printed material, Bibles confiscated by the police without the permit, congregating without the permit, using amplification system without the permit, operating a barbecue without the permit, singing without the permit, using music and all kinds of nonsense. Ten years later, it's a very complicated and long story, ten years later I won. Big victory, huge victory. The judge said, to the city back off. This man has a right to save lives. Under our constitution, under the Criminal Code of Canada and under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, what this man is doing is legal, back off. So we made a deal with the city. They let me continue doing what I'm doing to this day, which is 23 years of feeding the poor. However, during that time, they vilified me on the news they scared the supporters and the IRA, uh, the CRA, the CRA showed up 2008. And I received a letter, which I have to this day. It's on our website if you're interested. And it, they said, because we have negative views about homosexuality, abortion and divorce, we're not eligible to have our charitable status anymore. And they took it away, 2008. And I thought to myself, whatever, whatever, I don't need that stuff. Right. I think that people that value saving lives are still going to contribute. They're still, they're still going to help me. They're still going to give because ultimately you don't give to a man. Right. When you save life, you give to God. God will repay you. But with Canadians, that was not the case. The moment they find out, and by law, I had to tell them the right, donors, right. that my charitable status was taken away. I'm not allowed to give you a charitable tax receipt. When you give, know this, I'll not be able to give you the tax receipt. And, did and you... shocker, okay. majority, 99% of people pulled out the money. Right. And I almost, it almost bankrupt me. 
that's where I fighting with the city, hiring lawyers, using my personal money. I end up remortgaging my house seven times and I've lost other properties. I had to sell other houses and I end up in a 900 square feet, a hundred year old house with the roof that is falling apart. Yeah, yeah I see that. Um, the, um... But I do not regret. Okay. All right. <laughs> And you don't regret losing all of that because you're standing for principle. I'm not regretting uh, nothing because I did it for God. He told me to do it. The Bible is very clear. Do not forsake the gatherings of the saints. Meet together. The Bible is very clear. Take care of the orphans and the widows. Feed the poor. The Bible is very clear. Preach the gospel, the truth, no matter what. It doesn't say when the government approves that truth, then you can preach it. Mm. The Bible doesn't say when the king likes you, then you can preach it. We know John the Baptist lost his head because he confronted an adulterer, the king. The Bible doesn't say um, when you're popular and rich, then you can do all of those different things. No, the Bible is very clear. You are to obey because... The commandments of God are to be obeyed. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm telling you, go and do it, no matter what. So I did that, and I don't regret. Ser serving God is the most rewarding, amazing thing that a man can have. It's the most beautiful thing that you can be part of. Let me just ask you, how is your wife dealing with all of this? I mean, she, she was used to having a a very nice lifestyle and then all of a sudden you now change and you're out on the street uh, looking after the poor the homeless and losing money and being prosecuted she's 100 percent on board uh, here is an interesting thing when she was growing up she prayed to god that god would give her a man of god mm. a man that loves him more than he loves anybody else or anything else and when she met me, I was corrupted man, not the type of man that she prayed for. And she did her best to lead me to Christ. Mm. And it took her seven years, seven, I call it seven years of hell for her mm. to lead me to Christ. And finally, when our son was born, that was the final surrender. And if you would ask her today, she said she has what she prayed for. She has a man of God, a pastor as her husband, a man that loves God more than everything else or anything else, a man that stands for what's right, and a real man, not a coward that runs away because hyena decided to show up. So in other words, she has what she prayed for and she loves it. She is a very strong woman, very, a, woman a woman filled with principles, mm. a conviction like I've never seen before. If I, would, if I were to testify who is stronger, me or my wife, there would be no hesitation, hesitation in my heart. It's her. Mm. She is the power behind Arta Pulaski. It's her. Mm. And she's not a big woman. She's a, She's short, and, uh, but I'm telling you, I only fear two people on this earth. I fear God. He is to be feared. You don't mess with that, that man. He is the giver of life. He's a holy God, and I fear her. <laughs> because I, I realized 
I learned this powerful lesson that the worst thing that can happen to a man is to sleep with his enemy in the bed. When you close your eyes, you have no idea what can happen to you and you can die. So I made, I always make sure that she's my friend before we go to bed. <laughs> I want to survive that night. I uh, know that, you know, outside of the joking, she, she's a lot stronger than me mm. and she hears God clearer than me. She is my anchor. She is the, the one that when I want to go left or right, she reminds me what is the goal, why we do what we do. In other words, keep your eyes on the prize. What is the prize? Is the crown of life. Why do we do what we do? Not to be rewarded. The poor that we work with, they can't give you nothing except thank you. Mm. I was at City Hall waiting for you and um, a homeless comes to me and says, I saw you in the news, you're the, you're the one that puts this together. He says, yes, I am. I want to thank you. Mm. I want to thank you for doing this. That's my reward. Right. That's it, looking into his eyes and tears. He was so grateful mm. that there was someone willing to go to the streets for him, mm. just for him. And I'm telling you, if he was just the only one that showed up today, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. I always teach the volunteers. Remember, the lineups are big and there's lots of people, lots of commotion, but you're there for one soul, just for one. Go and get your soul. Get that one. When you're done with that one, go and get another one. Mm. Mm. You can't save the whole world. Only God can do that. But we surely can impact one soul at a time. Mm. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people... Um, look at what's been happening in Canada in the last number of years. And really, uh, I, I think the COVID experience has really uh, opened up, uh, I mean, fractures throughout society. I've heard of churches that are, that are struggling, trying to make sense of what's happening. And, uh, and, and I, um, I had the privilege of going up to the, uh, to the truckers convoy, for example, for two weekends and the one weekend I missed, I couldn't because my, my father had a heart attack. But, you know, I, I went there just to hear the stories, hear, the, hear why is it that they have done this. And then to see the, um, um, what would I have to say is just a, an overreach of government in, yeah. in a big way uh, with respect to uh, what happened to them and, and uh, Something that I think, as a country, we're going to have to wrestle with for, for quite some time. Like, many people think, okay, well, this is just, you know, it's over now. But it's not over. It's still, uh, but uh, kind of like the opening, <laughs> the, the, the opening act, as it were, to an ongoing process of Canadians trying to understand what freedom is. We have been in this country, it seems to me, where uh, we have not understood freedom like you've understood freedom because of your experience and your background. I have a lot of Romanian friends who say to me, you know, Barry, uh, I, I, find, I find Canada less free than Romania that I grew up in. I said, well, how in the world can you figure that? Well, he said, in Romania when I was growing up, no one believed the government. <laughs> like, like we knew the lies and, yeah. and we weren't going to follow it. And even people in the school or the universities, they knew the lies. 
But in Canada, everyone believes the government. Everyone has this deference towards government. As you look at Canada as what has been happening, um, is that your experience? Is that your thought of, of what's happening? How, how do you see what's been happening in Canada in the last one? Yeah, growing up in Poland, you could be arrested for just having the wrong information, hmm. a pamphlet. If you were caught with a pamphlet that was not approved by the Communist Party, you could be tortured, you know, taken to police custody, sentenced to prison. If you were caught listening to a European radio, mm. that's why people don't understand, they do not understand my language, why I call them Gestapo, why I call them Nazis, KGB, right. because they have not studied history. Gestapo simply means political police. That's it. Police that was monitoring who opposes government, who mm. says negative things about the Nazi regime. And they had enormous power. They could shoot you dead. They could torture you. They could, they could send you to a concentration camp. So growing up in Poland, seeing the abuse of power, mm. 50,000 communists were ruling over 36 million Polish people. Okay, so just, just unpack that again. So how many communists? 50,000. So 50,000 are ruling 30 million. 36 million 36 Poles. million. So, and, and I think this is important for us to really comprehend here because um, it doesn't take a lot of people to control a country, right? Yeah. And you just need to have guns. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly what we have observed. Look what yeah. happened to the truck convoy, right? Yeah. They brought um, European gangsters. Those were not Canadian police, you know that. They were not Canadian police. They were, they were flown. They came on the planes from Europe. They could not even speak English to beat Canadians. So, okay, now, okay, now I haven't heard that one before. So, uh, how, uh, okay, so can you unpack that one for me? Yeah, they, when, when the reporters, our reporters, not the mainstream propaganda, the Goebbels propaganda machinery, no, I'm not talking about them, uh, they are in it. They are part of the, the gangsters, prob, you know, the, the, the mafia, mm. the government, uh, the courts, and the mainstream media, and the, of course, educational system, and the healthcare system. They all are in this together on some levels when you, when they were talking to those police officers they were speaking in a foreign language to each other and they could not speak english they and uh, uh, of course later on i was told by people that have this inside information that the planes brought them into canadian soil from europe brussels they were un mercenaries that came to do this to Canadian people. That's why they were laughing. That's why they had no problem to trample on Canadians with their horses, to beat them up, to shoot them, to punch them. They had no problem to do that because they were foreigners. They're not Canadians. They're not living in our neighborhoods that you can say, you did this to me. No, they were people from outside. Every tyrant uses his private army. So growing up under communist regime, it was the communist elite that was doing this for the, to the rest of the people. And uh, why they can do this? Because they had the armed forces behind them and the police with their guns. 
So it doesn't take a lot of police officers. So you can have a thousand people, but it takes 50 cops to show up. Mm. They got the tasers, they got the means, they got the helicopters, they got the pistols. They will shoot you dead. Mm. That's why they hate your guns. Mm -hmm. That's why every tyrant wants to disarm the population before can take over and uh, enslaving the entire population. So growing up, I echo what your friend said, because growing up under the boots of the Soviets behind the Iron Curtain, we knew who the villains are. Mm. It was very clear. There were two categories of people, those that were enslaved and the pharaohs mm. of today. We knew who the pharaohs were. Mm. We knew that you don't read the paper because there is nothing truthful there. We used um, newspapers as toilet paper, like literally because there was no toilet paper to buy. Mm. So what you do, you use the propaganda papers, newspapers for that purpose. You cut it out, you break it and you use it for that purpose. That was the only thing that this thing was good for, mm. toilet paper. When you watch TV, you watched it in a way of, okay, let's see what the garbage, what the lie they're going to give it to us today. Mm -hmm. That brought people in solidarity with each other because they were the true victims of what was going on, what the communists were doing. Coming here, I am shocked. I am shocked at Canadian, Canadian mentality where Canadians are seeing what is happening and they still do not understand that the government is your greatest threat right now. Mm -hmm. In other words, the two and a half years of this craziness, what they wanted to do to us, they wanted to mask us, right? Put the mask on, put the mask on, put it on, put it on, or else. Well, I'll arrest you if you don't put it on. I was arrested for not having a muzzle on. And yet at the same time, they wanted to put a mask on us. But what happened to them? They took their masks down. Now we can clearly see them is now what we need to do is present that case to the people, to the Canadians, so they can understand that this government right now, the very government that is doing this, or has been doing this evil towards us for the past two and a half years, is evil, is wrong, and has no, nothing good in their hearts. Right, and so here's the thing. So first of all, and I'm just going to... Um, just kind of open up a little bit here, uh, but the the average Canadian, for instance, who's watching this interview, they would say, "But Pastor, um, I I agree with everything you've been saying, but when you're when you're saying that um, that the Canadian government brought in uh, foreign mercenaries, in essence." Um, like, like that's a hard one to swallow, right? I mean, that's that's difficult without um, without some real good substantive evidence. You, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. and so then, so then the the average person out there will say, "Well, okay, I agree with you, Pastor, right up to there," <laughs> and I'm I'm like, "Okay, so so how do we?" How do we deal with that? I can, I can get your... This proof, there's so much proof already. If you look for the proof, for the truth, mm -hmm. you shall find it. Mm -hmm. um, there are Chinese troops being trained on Canadian soil. Yeah. They are flying our planes right now, being trained 
This is a public knowledge right now. Right. We've seen videos of mm -hmm. Chinese troops in British Columbia, in the north part of Alberta by Fort McMurray. We've seen this already. And also they are, there is evidence, which I watched it, of the foreign troops dressed as Canadian police in Ontario at the parliament. There is proof if you really are concerned about it. But let's say, let's say that didn't happen. Okay. Let's just pretend right. they were Canadian cops living among us. Uh, the proof is in the pudding. Well, I mean, what did they do to free Canadians? Right. Trampling them with their horses, arresting peaceful protesters, mm -hmm. denying human rights, mm -hmm. confiscating illegally, confiscating private property without a warrant. Stuff that they did, everything they did was illegal. And enacting emergency act also was illegal. Mm -hmm. Now more and more proof is coming. So even if you don't want to believe that those people were from UN and they came for one purpose, to trample on Canadians, let's say that was not the case. It changes nothing. Those cops did what they did and that's a common evidence right. for everyone to see. So it doesn't matter. In the end of the day, they did what they did. Either they came from outside or they were from inside. It changes nothing. The truth remains. They broke every law that this country was built upon. The Criminal Code of Canada. When they entered our church, they broke Criminal Code of Canada, Section 176, yeah. 1, 2, and 3. You're not allowed to interfere with a, with a clergyman while he's on his way while he's officiating or coming from officiating mm -hmm. his duty as a, as a clergyman. You're not allowed to um, uh, interfere with the gathering for the purpose of worship. Mm -hmm. That's criminal offense, two years for you. And they did it anyway. Mm -hmm. And then they found uh, three crooked judges in the province of Alberta to get the power ex parte without our knowledge, without our ability to defend ourselves. And, and just for the viewers, uh, ex parte means that you didn't receive notice of that order. Yeah, we, yeah. we were clueless. We didn't know they're cooking something. They just showed up with a piece of paper and said, hey, you got to obey us. No, that's not how the system works. There are checks and balances. You got to go through the system. Yes, you want to challenge me, challenge me. Let's go with the lawyers. Let's go to the real judge not politicians, not media. Let's do this the way it's supposed to be done. Let's look at the law. What does the law say? Mm. You know, they call me law uh, lawbreaker. They call me troublemaker. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's so fascinating to hear all of those different things because the latest ruling from the three panel judges just yeah. said everything you people did to him was illegal. Yeah, let, let, let's just open up that one so that that was a court of appeal decision that dealt with your contempt uh, of the court. And it was, uh, you were held in contempt. Can you explain why you were held in contempt? So the craziness started for me early, early, early March, 2020. Right. I received the letters from City Hall because I had all my papers, all my permits, everything. I always go and I always do things by the book. Okay. so. This is uh, an important uh, point, I think, because a lot of people would say, well, pastor, I mean, 
if if you need a permit, why don't you just go get one? But you're saying you you got your permit. Yeah, I had all my permits. I always, I always go and I always do my best to do it by the book. Right. And if the government comes back and actually breaks the law, so for example, I don't need a permit to feed the poor, but the city hall says, but get one, we will give you one, mm. just for the paperwork, right. for bureaucracy, I'll get it. Even though I don't need it, but the bylaw says I should have it, I'll get it. Okay. But if the city hall says, yeah, you try to get a permit to feed the poor, we're not going to give it to you because we don't like you, whatever the reasoning they will have, well, then I will keep feeding the poor, even though I don't have a permit, because that's what God says that I am commanded to do as a pastor. Okay, so a lot of people would say, okay, pastor, are you saying that you're above the law or that God is above the law? No, I would say they are not above the law. There is something fundamental if it comes to law and order. That's God's law. So a, a man cannot say that saving lives is now outlawed because that goes against natural law or God's law. So if I see a dying child, and you know, I, I'll, ask, I'll ask you, would you feed a dying child? So you're walking with a sandwich and there is a dying child on the streets of Calgary, on a public sidewalk or in a public park. Would you feed that child? I mean, serious question, would you? No, mm -hmm. sure. Well, you would, you would be breaking the law. Because the law in the city of Calgary states you're not allowed to give free goods and services without the permit. Yeah. Well, you don't have a chance to get the permit because if you because do the that, just showed up. the kid will die. Oh. You're walking on the streets. There is a law in the books. You're not allowed to do it. What would you do? Would you feed that kid or would you say, I cannot do it because I will be breaking a city ordinances? The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians by giving at firstfreedoms.ca.